yes, 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 I'm back. <laughs> Thank you so much to Gareth Cliff back again on Monday morning, 69. My name is Andrew Levy. Welcome to 2015 Konza Show. Hey, Jack, thank you so much for holding it down uh, in December. Absolutely amazing shows. Uh, you are a very, very talented man and big, big feet to fill in 2015. So I thought that, you know, coming back, we'd chill out, have some really interesting topics. We're going to be speaking about, um, you know, Miss SA and all this jazz. And then last Wednesday happens and uh, everyone had to pronounce Charlie Hebdo. And uh, all these kind of French sayings, je suis Charlie. And uh, you can see that I'm out of practice here. But I uh, wanted to talk a little bit about satire in South Africa. So we're going to be speaking to the kings of satire. Uh, we've got Sapiro, we've got Tsar News. We're also going to speak to uh, a French journalist in just a little bit to find out what is happening uh, after the Charlie Hebdo of last Wednesday. Have a listen to this. at the office of the satirical magazine Charlie Hebdo. Twelve people are now dead after two men with automatic weapons stormed the offices of a French satirical magazine. Two masked men entered the central offices of the satirical news magazine carrying assault rifles. The President of France also said the country's been put at its highest terror alert level. As a Muslim, I absolutely refuse to apologize for this terrorist act, but as a Muslim, I demand justice for the victims. Charlie Hebdo had the right to, to exist and we had the right to, to criticize it. This could escalate into a kind of unwanted and serious culture clash. We're part of a generation that tried to uh, ruffle up the traditions and the stiffness that existed in 1960s, 70s France. Uh, this is an attack on all of us, on our fundamental values, on the freedoms EU societies are built on. People in Paris showing their solidarity, their resolve not to let terrorism intimidate free thought. I do not agree with what you have to say, but I'll defend to the death your right to say it. It's an unbelievable attack on, on everything I suppose that I stand for freedom of expression, satire, cartooning, freedom of the press. And there you have it. It was last Wednesday that uh, France and I suppose the world got shocked by uh, Charlie Hebdo. Of course, uh, following that was in Nigeria, a small little town in Baga, where supposedly a reported 2,000 people were killed by Boko Haram. A lot of news stories coming through on that. And, of course, we want to hear what you have to, to say about all of this satire in South Africa. What role does it play? Um, is it dead? Is it something that we now have to worry about what we say? Uh, get us on WeChat as well as on Twitter at Yebo underscore Levy, L-E-V-Y, or at CliffCentral.com. I see people are already starting. We haven't started the show. People are starting to comment already. Uh, Sasha, we'll get to, to your comments a little bit uh, later. Lisa is on the line. She is a French journalist, and we wanted to chat to her just to find out exactly what the way forward has been in France. Um, a lot of people are shocked uh, about Charlie Hebdo and why people are shocked. I mean, is this something that has been coming for a long time? We know, uh, and if you don't know, there's been a lot of allegations around French and, and France being particularly racist, um, specifically around their minority groups, be it a religious or otherwise. Um, so we wanted to speak to a lady by the name of Lisa. She's on the line now joining us in our offices. Uh, Lisa, good morning to you. You are a French journalist. Um, thank you so much for spending some time with us here uh, at Cliff Central. 
Radio.com. And now we wanted to just quickly follow up with you. We know that Charlie Hebdo was uh, firebombed in 2011 for a comic on the Prophet Muhammad uh, back then. Do you think it was a case of it was bound to happen at some stage? Uh, I don't know if uh, we can say that. But what I can tell you is that, first of all, it's a question of law. And uh, Charlie Hebdo has fit in the limits of the French law. Uh, they have the right legally to publish what they publish. Freedom of speech is an absolute right in France. It's one of the most precious rights of the man that goes back to the French Revolution uh, with the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. So freedom of speech is still limited uh, by a legal framework. For instance, freedom of expression doesn't allow you to publicly call for the death of someone. And according to the law, freedom of speech doesn't allow hate speech against an ethnic group or a specific nationality. Even if the French law authorizes to disrespect and to be insolent if it's for humorous ends. So, however, this can be challenged in front of a, of, of a court, obviously. And it's important to remind here that Charlie Hebdo faced a trial in 2007 because of the caricatures of the prophet that had been published in the newspaper. But in the end, the court found that even if the cartoons uh, could be perceived as offensive, and even if they can hurt the Muslim community, there was no deliberate intention to offend all the Muslims, and Charlie Hebdo won that case. I'm sorry to be a bit long on that, but it's important to understand that in France, there is no crime of blasphemy, and that Charlie Hebdo had the right, legally, to publish uh, those caricatures. So okay. obviously, many, many people, I, I just I just finished on that, but obviously many people had a critical point of view on Charlie Hebdo's work, uh, because they were often targeting the same minorities. But there is a sentence uh, from the writer Voltaire that sums up quite well the French uh, spirit. It says, I disagree with what you say, but I will fight for you to have the right to say it. That's the way it works, and Charlie Hebdo used that right in a way that can be criticized, but that was legal. Now, we're speaking to Lisa Fabian. She is a uh, freelance journalist from France. Uh, Lisa, one of the things that, that interests me about this whole thing is, is do you think now that... Um, there's a bit. There's going to be a lot more marginalisation of minority groups and religious groups in uh, in France. Yes, obviously, actually, uh, but it's important to say that the minority groups were actually already marginalised in France. Uh, there have been 55 Islamophobic attacks in France uh, since the Charlie Hebdo tragedy last week, which is uh, much more than usually. But in reality, there were Islamophobic and racist attacks before that as well. But the public opinion wasn't so aware of that because no one was really talking about it because it wasn't in the news. I really think it's important to say that these racist issues existed in France even before the terror attack of last week. Obviously, it's true that the tensions are particularly high at the moment, and the French Muslims are very scared of amalgamations. But what I really think is that this event just put a crude light on something that exists in France. Anyway, the question of integration, the question of discrimination are crucial in our country. And I think that this event should push the country to reflect on this in order to have a real public debate and to try to find solutions together about this important issue. Uh, it just became urgent with this event, this tragic event. Now, of course, France has a, a rich history, as you were saying, of specifically satire um, since you know the 1960s when uh, Charlie Hebdo's predecessor came out. Do you think that 
the satir, the satirists, it's a hard way to say, satirists, um, are going to think twice before putting out a cartoon? Uh, I'm not sure about it, to be honest. Uh, the first uh, Charlie Hebdo cover, as you probably know, uh, uh, depicts the prophet. The, the first uh, cover since the terror attack, they put the prophet on the cover again. And most of the journalists and cartoonists in France and writers uh, want to reaffirm today the freedom of speech and the right to offense, which is a right in France. And the people want to show that they are not afraid. But it doesn't mean that the limits uh, will be pushed further either, you know. I believe uh, the recent events updated um, an old debate. For instance, a very famous French cartoonist uh, named Plantu, uh, who is working for the newspaper Le Monde, a very famous French newspaper, this cartoonist has the rule not to depict the prophet. And this cartoonist was in favor of the self-censorship uh, even before the attack. So if you want, it's an ongoing debate around limits of freedom of speech, and that debate will just uh, continue after the terror attack. Some people will think twice, and some people will just keep pushing the limits. Now, we, we uh, you know, you spoke about censorship. It's interesting that Sky News and CNN have chosen not to broadcast the Charlie Hebdo uh, pictures. But interestingly, you are now doing a lot of broadcasting and journalism in Africa, uh, Lisa. We're speaking to Lisa Fabian. She's a French freelance journalist. And I just want to get your insight into why you think that, you know, it caused so many people to be so upset in a way that would never happen in the events of, you know, if this happened on the African continent, which it did, funny enough, in, in a bigger way with the Boko Haram killings in Baga. Yes, so it's a very complicated question. I think it's almost a philosophical question. It's a question of history. And uh, really, I think it's the role of the media to talk about the killings in Baga in order to raise awareness, especially international media. But as usual, the mainstream media have been more focused so far on the tragedy happening in the Western world, uh, which is very sad and very questioning. I mean, uh, the question of how Africa is depicted in the media is quite recurrent, and it's not uh, only this time. But, you know, it's also much easier to collect information in France than in Nigeria currently. Today, the north of Nigeria is like a black hole of information. It's almost impossible to get a visa as a foreign journalist at the moment. And it's very, very hard to have uh, precise figures and reliable information. So journalists sometimes just prefer not talking about it than giving wrong information. I also think that obviously, uh, like a lot of people were focused on what happened in France, so we didn't talk about it, which is concerning, especially for international media, because obviously French media were more focused on what happened in their own country. But what I can tell you is that I see awareness rising slowly, slowly in France on the social network, on Facebook, more and more people are talking about Nigeria now. And there will be a demonstration in Paris uh, next Sunday called uh, Je suis Nigeria. Fascinating stuff. Lisa Fabian, a freelance journalist in, uh, in, on the African continent at the moment. Thank you so much for your Thank time you. talking Thank about uh, Shali Abdul and uh, the recent events. Of course, we're here on Cliff Central. It is the Konza Show here with me, Andrew Levy. It's quarter past nine. We're speaking about satire. Wanted to give you a little bit of insight into what's happened since the Shali Abdul uh, attacks last Wednesday. And now uh, we're going to be moving our attention to South Africa because, of course, satire is a huge part and humor generally is a huge part of 
the South African uh, story, I suppose, uh, at the moment. We're also going to be uh, playing you some really funky, rad, hot, cool December songs. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not ready to, to go into into January just yet. So we thought we'd just keep that a little bit light. Here's Arctic Monkeys. In the meantime, Zapiro is up next. If you have any questions for him, WeChat or at Yebel underscore L-E-V-Y. Hello, good morning. Arctic Monkeys on cliffcentral.com. What a cool song. Marty Bums. I love it. I love it. Uh, we're talking satire and of course of re- after the recent events of Charlie Hebdo last Wednesday and the terrorist attacks. You know, a lot of people are getting this confused and saying uh, Muslim terrorist attacks. I would take that word out. It has nothing to do with that. These are just terrorists using a cause. Uh, very similar to the Ku Klux Klan of the 60s where they put up a Christian, uh, uh, I suppose, cross uh, when they did all all their terrorist attacks. So please, you, you must not get that confused. It's really, really important. Um, so many Muslim people around the world have come out and condoned these attacks from all over the place. But really... It talks to another issue, which is to say, what is the role of satire um, in a society? And uh, going forward now, can people still take the mickey out of each other? Um, you know, we've had a, a long line of that in South Africa with uh, amazing people, cartoonists, um, comedians doing incredible satire. And, of course, one of the most well-known is, of course, Jonathan Shapiro, otherwise known as Zapiro. Uh, he joins us from Cape Town on the line at the moment. Of course, if you want to chat to him, you uh, can send through your questions on Cliff Central WeChat or on Twitter at Yebo underscore Levy. Of course, you can phone in as well, 0861-555-189. Jonathan, good morning to you. Thank you so much for, for joining us here. Uh, we're going to try and see if, if you can speak up. That'd be great. Uh, but obviously, Charlie Hebdo shocked the world. In terms of, you know, your own uh, perspective, how did it come across to you last Wednesday? What were some of the feelings that, that you had? I, I was... I was Absolutely devastated. It's a, it's a cowardly, ghastly, murderous attack on everything that I think a, a democratic, secular society should um, be able to handle and be able to tolerate. And uh, it's a, it's an, it was an attack on freedom of expression, an attack on satire, an attack on, on cartoonists and cartooning. Uh, an attack on the on freedom of the media. Uh, it's all of those things. Um, it's there. In, in, you know, in, in analysing it afterwards in the next few days, there are some other interesting uh, complications, um, but nothing whatsoever that possibly uh, exonerates people who think that they can do this. This sort of thing, who think that they can do this sort of thing, or even people who who've come out and try to sort of justify the attack. You know, they didn't do it, but they've come out to, to, to sort of justify and say, look, well, look, look at the look at the uh, the taunting or the outrage or something of of the cartoonist. Now, just Charlie Hebdo is a magazine that has been mercilessly satirizing 
pastors, politicians, political organizations, the Catholic Church, far more than it has done um, with, with uh, uh, Muslim iconography or Muslim figures. Uh, it, the, the Catholic, the attacks, the number of pieces of satire that Charlie Hebdo has done on, on, on Catholicism is, 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 is very is huge because you know, France is a Catholic country that satirized various popes, uh, the suppression of the, the Catholic Church's suppression of, of, of condoms, they've, they've satirized the, the pedophile priest scandal, all sorts of things. And amongst other things they've done, these, they, they really have that sort of French irreverence. Kind of satire that not everybody likes. It's not not as if you have to like everything that they do uh, to to support their freedom, Charlie Hebdo's freedom to do it. But they take that to a kind of a, a, they take it further than a lot of other um, cartoonists and, and, and satirists might 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 take it. But that's their style. Just just give me a sense, Jonathan. What is it about cartoonists that often enrages us so much more than, for example, political columnists? I mean, when you when you draw uh, some of the cartoons that you've drawn, we'll get to that in a little bit of time. People go absolutely buck wild. Why do you think that there's such outrage? I, I mean, I think that that cartooning is a is, is an amazing uh, means of communication. It's got tremendous appeal. Um, it, it's got huge impact. It can it can work very fast, and it can work for it works in a, in a, in a few seconds. I mean, in, in two seconds or four seconds or, or you know one second, you can actually get an incredibly punchy message across. That even in a in a in a well written concise article would take six minutes or something or ten minutes. And that's a massive difference, and it can also work for people who are very literate and people who are not that literate. And it can also be then put onto posters and pamphlets and spread around. And it can also, cartooning can also sometimes include almost hidden messages that, that buck the authorities without actually saying things explicitly. So in a way, you're getting around Sometimes this doesn't always work, and it certainly didn't always work in the Charlie Hebdo case. But it, 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 sometimes there are cartoonists who work in, in political organisations or just ordinary people using a kind of cartooning who can say things without actually spelling them out. I'll just give you one example. Yeah, um, please do. That my, in my own case, last year when Suleiman Abdullah came out with the, her her report. And the presidency and the ANC and government tried everything to pretend that Suleiman Abdullah's report wasn't the actual official report and that there, there were these other nonsense reports like the cabinet report. I mean, that was just concocted afterwards to try and find a way to defend Jacob Zuma. And then, and then there was the, there was yet another report. There are various other reports that they tried to sort of just concoct to sort of pretend that Suleiman Abdullah's report wasn't the main and the only thing. And then uh, there was this, I did, I did a cartoon uh, where I I had a sort of incongruous speech, and we had these different euphemisms that were used. The amphitheater, is this thing that was the, what did they say, retaining wall, was what they called the, the amphitheater. You know, ridiculous things like that, obviously a fire pool for the swimming pool, it, 
etc., etc. And the, the last one, I said, President. And then I just put Crook. And well, the original version, and people like the cartoon, but the original version had the word thief. And based on the fact that he stole money from the country, from the taxpayers. And I was then told by the, by the newspaper that I love the cartoon, but can I do something different for the last thing? I said, well, it was stuck the cartoon up. So I put the word crook instead of thief. And that kind of passed muster with the legal experts. But the very next day, the ruling came out with the DA's um, uh, SMS message about the same thing. And the, the DA SMS message was deemed to be okay it's in court. It was deemed to be okay that you could say, the president stole your money. The DA is saying that to taxpayers. So then I did a huge cartoon in the Sunday Times which just had the word thief written in massive letters. And it's lowercase letters, so I just put the sour on the end of the F. And <laughs> in, in doing that, I, didn't, I wasn't saying Jacob or Zuma or President, and I wasn't drawing him. But people understand the cartoon language now, by now, of what the shower is, what the shower means. And that's the thing about cartooning that I do find very, very exciting, that you can kind of, you can get away with a hell of a lot mm-hmm. that you might not otherwise expect to get away with in, 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 if, you, if you wrote it down. If you're not a if you're not a Zapiro you know follower day in and day out, just explain to to us the different uh, degrees of sizes of the shower head and what that means on uh, President Zuma's head. Well, you know, I know I know I shouldn't spend too much time. There, there, there's so many other issues to talk about, but the shower is big here. And well, it started out obviously because he, he said the he said that famous thing in, in the cross examination during his red bar. Uh, before he was acquitted, let me add. But, um, yeah, he, 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 he had said that he had consensual sex in his, in his words with somebody who was HIV positive and he knew, he knew it and then he had a shower after to lessen his chance of infection. So that became, I immediately latched onto that and put the shower in his head as a, as, as, as to, to satirize his, um, supposed protection from HIV. But then it became a hell of a lot more. So suddenly the shower becomes just representative of all the weird things that he says or just representative of him. And, um, but, you know, then I took the shower off his head for quite some time because I, when he became president, I thought, let me give him a chance. And if, if he does okay, then the shower will float away. And there were sometimes calibrations next to to say how well or badly he was doing. And there were things where the shower got dangerously close and eventually after another couple of sex scandals, I thought the shower had to come back, so I did the State of the Nation address in the shower, came, where it became the sort of size of a, a small marquee or a large giant room on, on top of his head, and that has been there ever since. And then it changed its shape, and it used oil when he's in an oil scandal, or it's tied in a knot, or it uh, becomes a cage for Kalema Mosante, there's a little carrot in the, in the cage. It, it, it's got endless possibilities. It's it's so funny because I saw uh, another cartoonist, uh, South African cartoonist, draw a really really funny cartoon uh, about Jacob Zuma and his up and coming State of the Nation address, and it obviously didn't have the shower head because that's that's your thing. And I was kind of thinking to myself, 
where is the shower head? You know, like it's become this thing of like, you've completely owned it. We're talking to Jonathan Shapiro at the moment, otherwise known as Zapiro, one of the most celebrated cartoonists, not only in South Africa, but around the world. We're going to be speaking to him a little bit more uh, just after this. Here is one of the hottest new little tracks that I found. It's a band called Cat Empire. And uh, you got to get up and stand up to Friday song. This is really, really funky. Have a listen to this. We're back on Cliff Central just after this. Back of my supplies in a magic back, and I follow the sound of music, not up a hill. Friday song, Cat Empire and Fishies. Bet you never heard that one before. We're speaking satire to our beautiful friend, uh, uh, Jonathan Shapiro, otherwise known as Zapiro. Uh, now, Jonathan, there's been a little bit of chat here on Twitter. At Sharon Lee asked, firstly said, Zapiro, I love you. Um, but has there ever been a moment where you think it might have been too far or you've gone too far? Satirists, cartoonists, uh, anyone in our my sort of field, could if, if you push boundaries, uh, nobody could say that that, that that they've never had moments like that or feelings like that. But it's not always the, the cartoons that, that people might think um, have that they have given me moments like that. It's sometimes others. Uh, I mean, I don't the, the the cartoons that I've been sued for by Jacob Zuma. Um, well, three of them, are, there were three in one case where he sued me for 15 million. The case went on for three, uh, for six years. And, um, and eventually they gave up and he didn't really, didn't make any concessions. And I have no qualms about any of those cartoons. The Lady Justice cartoon. Uh, which, which is really, brilliant, by the way. Thank you. Well, he sued me for seven million for that and then it became five million. I did have qualms about that, but not because of Jacob Zuma or or the the politics. I, I was worried about how some women might see it if I didn't draw it properly or if I made some mistakes. And so I, I I did canvas that with journalist friends of mine, women friends who I felt could give me some guidance there. And I did have cold feet about drawing it and spoke to my editor about that. But because of that. Because race is such a serious subject, and even a, a clearly metaphorical race, which I was using in this in this cartoon, uh, and clearly metaphorical because Lady Justice is universally recognised as a metaphorical figure, so it's not accusing Zuma of actual race, and it's not it's not a depiction of actual race, and it wasn't in any way salacious. But I still that was those are the kinds of issues that concern me. Uh, how Ordinary people might see something where I might be, by mistake, uh, affecting some sort of group that may feel marginalized or may feel hurt by something, but not the politicians or the political organizations. I don't have misgivings when I really go for it, apart from which I really I consult with my editors and I value the editor's opinion. Uh, and sometimes if they make me or help me to temper something, I don't regard that as censorship. That's not like state censorship. That's somehow making the, the making the 
bottom line work. The bottom line, I always ask them, does it work and can we justify it? Then I don't have those misgivings, even if it's very dicey. And I, I will say as well that doing things around certain religious subject matter, as much as I'm, I'm, I'm really, really strongly a, a promoter of freedom of expression, there are times when things get very, very dicey because the violence and the murder and the threat of those things come not from the cartoonist or the satirist. They come from the other side. And I wish people would think about that a lot more. So, what, what do you mean by that, uh, Jonathan? Yeah, so that here, to bring it back to Charlie Hebdo and to all these things, it's not what... I'm, I'm, I want to insist on this. It's not the so-called provocation of the cartoonist or the satirist. It's the fragility of people's beliefs. If your belief structure, whether you're Christian, Jewish, Hindu, Muslim, is so fragile that you, that it can't stand up to somebody else of being irreverent about it, um, treating it like a way of thought, which it is in society. Religion is a way of thought in the same way that politics is. I mean, for a believer, it can be much more than that. But for somebody who doesn't believe in a particular religion or particular way of being, religion is no more than one other way of thought, one one kind of thinking in society. And why do we give it such incredible uh, sort of kid love treatment? And I I really would like that to be turned on its head. So so I found that when I've dealt with certain religious subjects, it is very dicey, and I've had death threats on more than one occasion. And it's a, it's a very, it, it shouldn't be like that in our society. In fact, as I say, the, 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 where, is the, where is the violence and, and real provocation coming from? Coming from people who believe they can be so self-righteous that they can threaten or actually even harm or incite others to harm uh, the, the people who, who, who have the temerity to sort of to poke fun at or to question aspects of their belief structure. So we've seen uh, in, in, in just yesterday we saw Max Dupree resign from the independent group for fear of being compromised as a journalist. Have you ever felt that, that you've been compromised? I know that you've had uh, a number of fantastic editors, but have you ever felt there was a moment where your, your cartoon would be compromised because they wanted to edit it so much? I have. I've had, uh, I've had fantastic editors, but I've also had some very, very, uh, over the years, a few wimpish editors and and a few, and one editor who thought that it was okay to change my cartoons without asking me. And, um, and <laughs> how did that end up? Hey, like. <laughs> it was unbelievable. He actually did it once, and I phoned up and I gave him a hell of a mouthful. And then, and I think he almost, in in the sort of his ability, his his his, his desire to 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 not offend uh, certain people, he kind of forgot just how much of a mouthful I gave him the first time. <laughs> and he did it again. And then he wouldn't take my calls for about three days because I was, I was trying to get hold of him. He, he, yeah, I was absolutely furious. And, uh, and he actually changed the words and people were asking, what, what was that cartoon all about? Yeah, because cartooning is an incredibly, it's quite a fine art in its own way. And you edit and edit and work and work until something works. And then this particular editor changed the words. He thought he was doing a good job, but it was, he stuck the cartoon so badly that both times that people just 
It's very, very interesting. I, I, I can imagine it must take quite a while to, to come up with these cartoons. I mean, in general, how long, how long does a cartoon take? I mean, I suppose that's how long is a piece of string, but I mean, like, how much time are you spending on one of these guys? Okay, well, I've told the truth up to now in this interview, and this is where I will start to lie to myself <laughs> and to you. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's I, great. I, I, I hate to even admit to myself how long I take, because I prefer rather to do fewer but good cartoons than, than to just turn out hundreds of them. I mean, I have done, I, 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 there was a time when I did seven cartoons a week, which killed me. There was another time when I was doing six cartoons a week, as well as five letters to the editor illustrations and five um, quips, the, mm. the sort of pa- the, the, the page three or page one uh, mini cartoon quips. So ten of the smaller ones and six of the big ones. It killed me. Um, I, then, I, then for many years I did six cartoons a week. And so basically you're doing more or less a cartoon on one day, but there's a lot of other things happening during the day. So... I'm afraid I, I often take up much of the working day thinking of it, working through things, reading stuff, listening, and then eventually getting the idea, doing the rough, and doing the final. It does take me many hours. Passive procrastination. Time, <laughs> now, uh, w- an interesting thing, uh, just before you go there, Jonathan, uh, one of the, the new things that has come to light is people are starting to imitate you. Uh, I know there was that cartoon about Zoomers, and geez, I'm going to stuff this word up because I'm not English speaking, unfortunately, but colonoscopy. Col- col- I can't even say it. That's it. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm trying. But that's but, on imitation. When they, when that, uh, that, that, that is pure plagiarism. That's not even imitation. There are young cartoonists who, 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 who imitate too much, and they imitate styles, and they imitate ideas. And that has it happens to all of us. In my very youngest days, I, I was trying as hard as I could to avoid it, and I couldn't help imitating aspects of Derek Bauer's style. It's not his politics, because Derek was, was the greatest uh, draftsman uh, South Africa's produced as a cartoonist. Brilliant, brilliant draftsman. I, I didn't agree with his politics so much. We had about that, that he was ahead of me just by a few years and also the most brilliant. So and I couldn't help imitating aspects of his style. That happens, but I, I would like to see some of the young cartoonists get out of that and move on to their own stuff, and that sometimes doesn't happen that much. But what, 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 what you're referring to is something where somebody took a cartoon of mine of George W. Bush, his colonoscopy and actual procedure that he had, and I had his, when they stuck the probe in, his brain was on the screen, so the brain was obviously, you know, up to off. But, uh, <laughs> and that reflected what people thought about him. So then when Zimmer became sick, somebody, twice this has happened. This has happened a few years ago, and then it happened again last year. Somebody just took my, two of my cartoons, put the Zimmer's head over George Bush's head, and it looked like a gratuitous piece of, and I, I suppose even in my sense, tasteless, he was still, and uh, I, I, w- I wouldn't have done that costume just quite like that. Mm. And uh, and they and then they put that out, and then, it, then it, a lot of people thought it was actually me, because they saw my style in those of things, so they didn't see how bad they'd been put together. And that's very worrying, because, you know, then you're, what you're doing is being sort of bastardized, and then put out in, in order to serve some sort of racist agenda. And then you're made to 
sometimes looked like a racist or whatever. Yes. There have been many things that have been done with my Gave cartoons, my Malema ones and my Zuma ones, to try and make me look like something that I'm not. Which I'm not a racist, I'm not a, I don't have an actual obsession with Zuma, etc., etc. But you, you, you find that right-wing people cobble things together and... To try to uh, fit their agenda. For their own, for their own agenda, their yep. own purposes. We've been speaking to Zapiro, Jonathan Shapiro. He is the mastermind behind the Zapiro cartoons that you often see in papers and online uh, newspapers around South Africa. Uh, Jonathan, thank you so much for your time. We're speaking satire here on Cliff Central. We really appreciate the work that you have done. And uh, we look forward to when you do your book tour in uh, the smoke, Johannesburg, as you come visit us here at Cliff Central. Have I'd, yourself. Love to, I'd love to. And I'm very glad to hear you play uh, Cat Empire. I was introduced to that by my son. I love Cat Oh, you see, there you go, there you go. Chiefs, now I'm feeling like I'm out of the loop here, but I'm glad that we're back in it. Uh, we're speaking to Jonathan Shapiro. Thank you so much for your time. Of course, we're speaking satire, uh, in uh, the studio right now, obviously, uh, after the events of Shelly Abdul last Wednesday, which was an absolute atrocity. What is the role of satire in uh, South Africa? And uh, we've got Zar News up next. But before that, what about a bit of George Ezra, Budapest Hotel? Miles in Budapest, my, my hidden treasure chest Golden grand piano, my beauty focus E.O.U. Ooh, you, ooh, I'd leave it all Everyone tries to get those high notes, eh? Grand, uh, it's at George Ezra, Budapest Hotel. What a cool, cool track. We're speaking satire in the studio with uh, the Konza Show on Friday. It has just gone 10 to 10. And uh, next on the line is... Are the amazing people behind uh, Zara News and Puppet Nation? Uh, one of the founders, Thierry Kasatu. He happens to be a Frenchman as well. Thierry, uh, good morning to you. Yes, good morning, Andrew. So, Thierry, explain to me. You know, Zara News has been an absolute hit. Uh, you know, uh, Puppet Nation has been brilliant. How did you get into satire in the first place? Uh, well, it's interesting you just talked to the Piero, who is my partner in Zar News. <laughs> we created Zar News together. Um, even before it hit uh, the internet or the screens, we, uh, I came up with the idea when I first came to South Africa in uh, 1997 um, and called Jonathan, um, whom, of course, I struggled to find because I looked up the name of the Piero in the phone book which you will never find, because that's not his real name, and I didn't know that back then. But um, how I got into satire in South Africa was then, when I first moved to South Africa in 1997, when I, how I got into satire initially was when I bought the rights as a broadcaster in France to Spinning Image. I, 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 bought as, I, I started with a few uh, partners, a TV channel in France, and we bought the rights to the acclaimed cult and very provocative uh, British television series, Spitting Image, which was the, um, really the, uh, the founder of all satirical puppet shows. And um, that's how I personally got into satire, although I was not involved in the production of it. Some people came to see me in France when I was at that channel, M6, and told me, why don't we make a French Spitting Image, something like this? about the local news and the local characters, our local celebs and politicians. And I, I, I love the idea, but as a uh, new channel, we didn't have the money to do that, so I had to pass. And then went over to Canal+, Plus, which is the equivalent to Mnet in France. 
And that show is now called Le Guignol and has been running on French TV for 27 years mm, every amazing. day. Uh, and pushing the envelope. And as you can imagine, in France, pushing the envelope has a very different meaning to what pushing the envelope in South Africa is. You, they push the envelope. Thierry, on that, I mean, as a Frenchman now living in South Africa, do you think that France, you know, just your perception... Uh, and, and the French characters within it were, were at risk of being attacked due to the fact that they are so satirical, that they are so out there, that they do push the limits. Yeah, but, but that's the job of a satirist because you never know what the limits are, um, except the legal limits. We, in France, they knew what the legal limits, uh, were and they were well within the legal limits. All of the, uh, court actions that were initiated against them, uh, Charlie Hebdo won, uh, with one or two exceptions, I think, over the 49 years of their existence. Um, and not 49, actually more than 49 years, more than 50 years. And um, so the only real limits we know are the limits that are set by the Constitution and by the law. Um, of course, there are people will say there are limits because there are limits to their called good taste and decency and don't provoke people and be careful, etc. But if a satirist, if a cartoonist starts to impose limits based on what other people think and how he might be taken, then a cartoonist or a satirist becomes very quickly very sterile, very unproductive and very unfunny. Mm. As as Puppet Nation and Zara News, you've done a lot of satirical acts, uh, a lot of controversial ones as well. Which one uh, do you think you were most criticized for? Well, <clears throat> that's the thing. Maybe we haven't pushed the limits enough. We haven't rocked the boat enough. Puppet Nation has never got into any trouble. Zara News and Puppet Nation got into trouble before they started. <clears throat> so before we launched Zara News, we took the Jonathan and I took the show around to broadcasters, to SABC, to ETV, to MNET. Uh, Note there are only three uh, broadcasters you can take a show to South Africa. They were only three back then and uh, still three dominant players. We, we took the show around and they loved the pilot that we had done. They loved the idea. They loved the concept. That, you know, this is something that South Africa needs to love it itself on TV for the masses, not only for the people who read papers, but for the millions who watch TV. And so we were very encouraged by that. But once we did the pilot, once we showed what real satire was about, you know, really um, taking the, the mickey out of everybody. And back then, Cabo Mbeki was still in power and was about to be overthrown by Jacob Zuma. Um, we, um, we, we got this reception, um, not through the rank and file, but once we got to the top of the pyramid, um, South Africans are not ready for this. Um, we like it, but our people are not ready for this, which we found greatly insulting for the people of South Africa, very insulting you know, to the intelligence mm. of the people of this country, yep. because we always believe that uh, everybody gets uh, humor and satire that in, if, if people in some way, um, not everybody actually 
understands the, thing, the things in the same way. But uh, uh, an evolved democracy, a mature democracy, is able to distinguish between um, what is um, reality and what is a metaphor, what is um, uh, a political discourse and what is art, what is uh, an opinion versus what is uh, reporting. So, so we, 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 before we launched, it was very difficult. But once we launched after many, 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 many years of, of fighting and, and of being very stubborn, well, we have actually never gotten into any trouble. Why, when I tell my teens, well, you know, just don't be limits, don't censor yourself, just do it and we'll see what happens. <laughs> Thierry Kasatsu, he is uh, the founder of uh, Zar Nation and Puppet, uh, sorry, Zar News and Puppet Nation. Thank you so much for joining us today, talking about satire. Uh, we've been speaking to a whole bunch of South African satirists about about the space after Charlie Hebdo and uh, what uh, comes of it. It sounds like absolutely nothing, if not more provocation from satirists, which I suppose is a good thing because uh, South Africa specifically and the world needs a little bit more of that. Thank you so much to uh, Lisa Fabian, a French journalist here on the African continent. Uh, she gave us a little bit of uh, introspective about what was going on subsequent to last Wednesday's attacks. I hope you have yourself a fantastic Friday and a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Back again next week, FKA Twigs will lead you into the sex show. Oh, this is a sultry, sultry song for a sultry, sultry show after this. Have yourself a brilliant day. Ciao, ciao.